if it's new to you, you know it now. Let's sing it out again. Ready? Open our eyes, Lord. We want to Yeah. Uh-huh.
may be seated if you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, please. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be there in a few minutes reading verses 35 through 38. We all watched with horror this past week uh, the news reports coming out of Las Vegas about what has become the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. We need to continue praying for the victims' families and for those who are injured and still trying to recover, and also for the many, many hundreds or thousands of people that were there that will deal with those emotional scars of being in such a horrible situation. You know, in the aftermath of such stories, there come stories of heroism, uh, stories of people who at the risk of their own lives seek to save others and do save other people's lives. And uh, we watch those with interest and appreciation and gratitude and even inspiration to see people giving uh, of even their own lives or seeking to help others at the expense of their own lives or the potential expense of their own lives. And then you hear stories uh, like Haley Gethman Gold's story. Haley Gethman Gold. Now, she was not actually at the event that night. She was not running from the rainfall of gunfire. Uh, she was not fleeing to safety. You see, Haley Gethman Gold was a vice president and senior legal counsel at CBS Network. And what was her response to the shooting? If you follow the news, you may already know. Uh, but she took to Facebook and she put up a Facebook post. And here's what she actually posted. And I'm quoting her words. I'm actually not sympathetic, B.C., that is because. I'm actually not sympathetic because country music fans often are Republican gun toters, end quote. Now, she uh, understandably was fired by CBS. She has since issued an apology. Uh, but such comments to say after a senseless mass shooting of innocent people to say that you're not sympathetic, it, uh, to read words like that actually may cause anger to rise in many of us, not because we like a certain type of music or not because we're a certain political uh, party or not because we like guns or don't like guns, but because she's talking about real people who were killed and injured in a senseless act of violence. And to be quite honest, I feel quite sorry for Haley Gethman Gold to have such uh, hatred at certain people to issue such callous and cold words to have no compassion, no care, and no sympathy, to almost gloat when innocent people are slaughtered for no good reason. God help her. May God have mercy upon her and bring her to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to compassion, I want to talk about us for a little bit. That's a picture of no compassion, uh, obviously. No compassion, no sympathy, no care whatsoever. But the question is, what about us? Where are we at in our compassion for other people? Are we touched with the needs and the hurts of people? Are we moved with compassion uh, toward hurting people? You know, our Lord Jesus was. He was touched with the feeling of compassion. And I want to show you actually a passage of Scripture here in Matthew chapter 9 where we see the compassion in action. Now, if you were here last week, we started talking and preparing our hearts for Friend Day next week. And we talked about the idea of evangelistic prayer, how we're supposed to be praying that lost people would come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the fact that they're dead in their trespasses and sin, and God the Holy Spirit has to do a work in their hearts and lives to open their eyes and help them to see their need of Christ and place their faith in Christ alone. 
And so we talked about evangelistic prayer, and I hope you're doing that. And this morning I want to add another element or another dimension to that idea, that type of prayer, by looking at harvest prayer. Harvest prayer. And I think you'll understand as we go through exactly what harvest prayer is all about. Matthew chapter 9, I'll begin reading at verse 35 and read down through the end of the chapter, verse 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now to be quite honest with you, I wrestled with the best way to outline this passage and and the best points to use to hang our thoughts on. But I decided to keep it simple this morning. I'm going to keep it super simple because when you look at it in a very simple way on the surface, it's very, very powerful. And so I want to look at uh, this with you. And first of all, notice what Jesus did in this passage. Notice what he did. Verse 35 gives us a summary of Jesus' activity among the people. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So you can say Jesus was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. He was caring for people's physical needs, and he was caring for people's spiritual needs. But if you read that verse too fast, you can miss some wonderful truth. And I want to go over it with you. Notice, first of all, that Jesus went to all kinds of places. It says there he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. So Jesus went to all kinds of places, and because he went to all kinds of places, he dealt with all kinds of people. He dealt with city folk, and he dealt with country folk. Uh, he dealt with the rich, and he dealt with the poor. He dealt with all kinds of people. And that's encouraging me, to me today. I hope it encourages you to realize he went to all sorts of places. He dealt with all kinds of people, and notice that he healed all kinds of sickness. It says that he dealt with every sickness and every disease among the people. None of the sicknesses or diseases were too powerful for him to handle. None of them repulsed him. None of them nonplussed him and caused him to say, what shall I do? Because he is the Lord. And I'm encouraged to see that uh, my needs, my needs are not new to Jesus. Your needs are not new to Jesus. He went to all sorts of places. He dealt with all kinds of people. He dealt with all kinds of problems. And he was there actively ministering. So we know what Jesus did, but then notice what Jesus saw next. Told you, keep it very simple today. What Jesus did, now what Jesus saw. Verse 36 says, He saw the multitudes. He saw the multitudes. You say, Well, preacher, so what? I've seen multitudes before. Uh, I've been in multitudes before. I've been in crowds. I, I've been to, to the Carolina Panthers game. I've been in a multitude of people. I, I've been to concerts. I've been to the state game or Carolina or Duke or whatever. I've been in, I've seen multitudes of people. So what? Yeah, you've seen them. You've been in. But have you ever really, have you ever really seen the multitudes? It says that Jesus saw the multitudes. Have you ever really looked upon the multitudes? In preparing for this message, I ran across an old sermon. Uh, by a man by the name of John Jones. 
It's very enlightening too. Let me read, share with you some of what he said. He said, in the deepest sense of all, he, that is Jesus, was the only one who saw the crowd. The rest saw heads and faces and bodies and numbers. Jesus was the only one who truly and really saw the multitude. He said, what does that mean? Well, he explains it in this way. The fact is, vision is not only a faculty of the physical organ of sight only. What a man sees depends not simply on his eye, but on his mind and his imagination and his heart. He said the secret of the Lord's vision is this. He not only saw, he perceived. So what is it when he looked upon the multitudes, what is it that he perceived? What is it that he understood about this crowd that it was more than just heads and and numbers and faces and people? Well, look at the end of verse 36 again. It says at the end of verse 36 there in your Bible, when he saw the multitudes, he saw that they were weary and they were scattered and they were like sheep having no shepherd. That's the New King James rendering of it. But those words are interesting. Let me share you some other translations with you. If you have a King James today, your Bible says that the crowd, he noticed that they fainted and they were scattered. The ESV says they were harassed and helpless. The NASB says they were distressed and dispirited. The NLT says they were confused and helpless and all of them without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were in pitiful condition because sheep cannot go it alone. Would you humor me a little bit more? I don't often do this, but John Jones' sermon, he describes these words so vividly. So why, preacher, do we have different words in these different translations? Because they're a translation. Here in the original, it's Greek. And so we have a translation of the Greek word into our English. And even our English changes over time. There are words that we don't use anymore. There are new words being added all the time. The meaning of words change. And so sometimes these translations, nuance can help us to understand it better. But he really gets into the meat of it. Where it says that they were distressed. He talked about how the English word does not convey the force of the Greek. It literally means flayed or torn or mangled. He said that's what usually happened to sheep that go astray. Uh, It fell prey to to prowling beasts who tore it and mangled it. And that's how Jesus saw the crowd that day. They were flayed and they were torn and they were mangled by sin. What's the Bible say about our adversary, the devil? He walketh about as what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And all the souls of these people had been among the lions. They bore the marks of the lion's claws and teeth upon them. They were lacerated. They were flayed. They were torn. They were full of wounds and bruises and festering sores. Upon their honor, their truth, their purity and their good name, the lion had laid his claws. And from many a wounded spirit, the cry was going up to God, Save me from the lion's mouth. They were distressed. They were flayed. They were torn. They were mangled. They were in a pitiful situation here. And then he said that word, scattered, that doesn't do it justice. He says literally the word in the Greek means thrown down or prostrate uh, uh, through faintness or famine. It's a picture of a sheep at the last gasp. It's unable to rise for weakness. And again, this is how Jesus beheld the people in the crowd that day. They were trampled down. They were prostrate. They were unable to rise. They were sick. They were helpless. They were ready to die. For that again is what sin does to people. It not only tears them and mangles them, it tramples on them. 
It reduces them to helplessness and despair. It robs them of the power to rise. And he said in that old sermon that sin means disablement as well as disfigurement. And the disablement, unless rescue comes, is bound to end in death because the sheep is there and the wild beast is coming. And that's how Jesus saw the multitude that day. Not just His names or even faces or even just bodies. He saw them torn and prostrate and disfigured and disabled and in danger of death through sin. Jesus saw the multitudes. Not just a quick glance, but a perceptive and perfect estimation of the people there that day. And beloved, that's a picture of the multitude today. The men and women who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know outwardly it may not appear that way. You may look upon them and they seem happy and joyful and maybe they're in a crowd and they're screaming and rejoicing together. But inside, inside, it's a different picture. There's darkness and there's death. And we must reach them. What did Jesus do? What Jesus did? He was preaching and teaching and healing. What Jesus saw? He saw the multitudes. Now I want you to notice this very important point. What Jesus felt. What Jesus felt. Sometimes I think in Christian circles we're afraid to talk about emotions and feelings. We don't want to get too emotional or go to one extreme or the other, but there's a balance here. May I just remind you that emotions are God-given and Uh, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was perfect man and perfect God joined together and He knew emotion. He knew feeling. And I want you to notice what He felt here. The first part of verse 36 says He saw the multitude. The last part says that He perceived them who they were. They were distressed and they were mangled and torn and, and flayed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless and they were in trouble. But notice the middle part of the verse. We see what He felt. It says there that He was moved with compassion for them. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In other words, His heart went out to them. Does it not bless your soul today to see the great love and compassion that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has for people that His heart went out to these people? You know what I'm talking about. You've had it happen in your own life. Your heart has gone out to someone. You've had compassion. And He was moved with compassion here. And may God help us to be like Him in this. To see people around us with the eyes of Jesus. To see them as people who are bleeding and broken and hurting and lost. That need a Savior. Need a Rescuer. The poet put it this way, Let me look on the crowd as my Savior did till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me view with pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of Him. May our love for Jesus so motivate our love for others. But this is interesting. We know that Jesus felt compassion when He saw the multitude. He saw their needs. He he saw that for sure. But He was moved with compassion. But when He saw them bleeding and broken and, and, and dying and so forth, He also saw potential. He saw a harvest. And that brings us to the final point this morning. And I don't close up shop. We're going to camp out here a little bit. But what Jesus said. 
So we know what Jesus did. He was teaching and preaching and healing. We know what he saw. He saw the multitudes and he saw them for who they really were. We know what he felt. He felt compassion for them. Now notice what he said. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think anybody in here would have guessed that what Jesus said would be the words in our Scripture today. At least I I wouldn't have expected it. Maybe you would have. Because it's very interesting what he says. After he sees the multitude, after he feels compassion for them, after he goes through all this to see what he says about the situation. In fact, let's let him say it himself. Look again in your Bible, verse 37, 38. Then he said to his disciples, now here he is, the Lord Jesus speaking, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. After he sees the multitude and he's moving compassion, he turns to his disciples and here's what he says to them, pray. Here we have compassion turning to intercession. Now I find these words absolutely amazing. And I want to walk you through them and I want to talk with you. Let's think about them together. When the Lord Jesus looks out on the multitude, he sees potential. He sees potential. He sees a harvest. And a harvest that is plentiful. This is a picture of souls that need to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A multitude of people who need the Lord Jesus. He sees potential. But after he mentions the harvest, he mentions the problem. What's the problem? Well, you've got a plentiful harvest. But the problem is they have a large harvest and they have few laborers. There are few workers. And so we move from the potential of the problem to the plan. And the plan to me is what's most remarkable about the statement. And that is he tells them to pray. (laughs) Look back at verse 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, Disciples, we have a large harvest in front of us. We have few laborers, so I want you to pray. Now, I find this remarkable. These words strike me the most. Now, think about it now. Here is the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, telling his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, some say, well, who is the Lord of the harvest? Well, some say the Lord of the harvest must be God the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's actively at work to convict people of their sin and bring them to saving faith in Christ. And others say, well, no, he must be talking about God the Father because who do we direct our prayer to? Well, the Bible says we direct our prayer to God the Father primarily. But I don't think we need to split hairs here. God is the great three in one. And here you have the Lord of the harvest being mentioned and And uh, you have God the Son saying to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God. Now, what does he want them to pray about? Well, he's very specific. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out or thrust out laborers into the harvest. Now, please don't notice the last part of that verse, by the way. Notice the last two words in verse 38, his harvest. Don't ever forget that. It's not our harvest. It's his harvest. And the only way there's going to be enough laborers to harvest his harvest is if the Lord of the harvest sends them out to share the gospel message. That's our job, by the way, to share the gospel message. We can't save anybody. We're not called to save anybody. We're called to share the gospel. Notice they don't go out on their own. They're sent. Now, I find this amazing again. Why would God the Son 
tell His disciples to pray to God the Father or God the Holy Spirit to send out workers into His harvest. Why in the world would He say this? Uh, you're working for a farmer. Can I, I can pick on Fincher in them today, I hope. I didn't ask him. Fincher, Jimmy. You're working the harvest. It's that time of year. And you realize there aren't enough workers. And so you, you're working for them. And you go to them and say, Hey, uh, Fincher, uh, Jimmy, would you all mind hiring some more workers in the harvest? Because the harvest is big. And we don't have enough help. And we need workers. You get the picture, right? Now, that makes sense from a human point of view, doesn't it? Why? Well, because we're humans. As humans, we're all limited in our time and our energy. Have you noticed that? And notice the older you get, the less energy. Anybody have that problem? We're limited in our time and our energy and our resources. And we're also limited in our time. Uh, The harvest ripens and you only have so much time to gather the harvest. And if you don't harvest it in time, you'll lose the crop. But this is not our harvest. Whose harvest is this? His harvest. Now, it's His desire that this great harvest of souls be reaped. It's His mission to bring lost people into saving faith into a right relationship with Him. I mean, God the Son, the one who came to die in our place, is saying these words. And, 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 and the thing about it, beloved, is He says to them, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that He'll send forth laborers into the harvest. And the interesting thing is, you notice that it's not the disciples that point out the need, it's the Lord that points out the need. That's kind of where the illustration goes awry a little bit when it comes to Martin Farms. Here's what it really looks like. Fincher comes to you as his worker. And he says to you as his worker, you know, the harvest is large this year. And he says, don't have enough workers. Why don't you ask me to hire more laborers? Do you understand how this is getting quite remarkable? That's not the way it works, is it, in our world? But here we have the Lord of glory saying, listen, the harvest is large. The laborers are few. Why don't you pray to the Lord of the harvest, His harvest, that He would send forth more laborers into the harvest? And then here's what we have to realize. He is not limited in any any way, shape, or form. He's not bound by time. He has boundless, unlimited energy. He has unlimited resources. He's not limited in any way, shape, or form except what He chooses to be limited in. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to be very careful in what I'm about to say. I'm going to tread very carefully, and I'm speaking very cautiously. But in some ways, the Lord has chosen to tie Himself or to... Uh, allow our participation in or to include our prayers and our asking into His work. Now, again, I'm I'm on holy ground in saying this. He says, He didn't just say it's going to be harvested. He said, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth more laborers into the harvest. Now, Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not to say that the elect will not be saved because they will. But for some reason... God has graced us with the responsibility and the privilege of praying that more laborers would be put into His harvest. Jesus didn't just say it's going to happen. He said pray it will happen. And by the way, do you ever wrestle with prayer anyway? You know, some people wrestle with the whole idea of prayer as it is. You know why they wrestle? They say, well, if God knows everything, and He does, 
And he's not bound by anything. You know, he's beyond time and space and so forth. And he already sees the end from the beginning. He's eternal, no beginning, no ending. And he knows all things. Then why in the world should we pray in the first place? I mean, why pray? He knows I need that uh, money for that bill. Uh, he knows I need a new set of tires. He knows that, you know, my loved one is sick. He, he knows all these things. So why pray in the first place if he already knows? Because he said to. He said to. And in fact, when you study the Scripture, beloved, some things will only come by prayer and fasting. Only by prayer and fasting. Now, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. I, I can't even grasp it, but I see it in Scripture. Now, last week we talked about praying for the lost, that they might be saved. And today we're talking about praying for more laborers to reach the lost. And he says here, as he looks upon this great harvest, not watch me do it, he says, ask me to do it. Ask me to do it. And if we'll pray the harvest prayer, I mean, if we really pray this prayer, really pray it, honestly, faithfully, sincerely, I want you to realize that we become part of the answer. Because how can we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into His harvest and us not work in the harvest ourselves? If we'll truly pray this prayer, we become part of the answer. You know the old saying, the best place to pray for potatoes is at the end of a hoe handle. You pray, but you plant the potatoes. And that's the way it is with our witnessing in the Gospel, is it not? We pray, Lord, open their eyes, but then we have to go and share the Gospel. And at the same time, here we are, there's this great harvest. And I'll be honest with you, beloved, when you look at a map, if you ever take the time to really consider the lostness and the darkness in our world, what are we at, 6 billion? Are we at 7 billion people yet? At least 6 billion people. And you look at the continents and you look at the world and you think that God's heart is that all people would hear the Gospel and come to faith. Now, they're not all going to. But He wants us to share the Gospel with all of them. And you look at the vastness. How can we help but not pray, Lord, send forth laborers into your harvest? Let me ask you, don't answer out loud, but let's just be honest today. Let's be transparent. When's the last time you prayed that God would send forth more laborers into the harvest? When's the last time you prayed that prayer? You know, we, we do pretty good, I hope, at praying for those already laboring. We need to pray for our missionaries. We try to do that. We've got them on the screen every Sunday when you come in. We're talking about them on Wednesday nights. We put them in your hands. They're in the open windows. I want you to pray for our missionaries all over the world. We need to be praying for each other because, listen, we're missionaries too. But when's the last time that we actually prayed about the future missionaries? God sent forth laborers. Do you ever, have you ever prayed this for your children? Your grandchildren, you know, parents and grandparents, we have a lot of desires for our children, but how many have this desire? God, use my child, use my children, use my grandchildren in your harvest. In whatever way you see fit, Father. One of the things that concerns me so much is how few we see, it seems, in our circles that are stepping out into full-time Christian ministry. When's the last time Red Hill Baptist Church had a preacher among their midst that rose up and said, God has called me to preach. When's the last time we sent someone to the mission field 
When's the last time we saw someone who said, listen, God has called me to full-time Christian service? And that's not discounting all the other service. But is our heart really to reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I find this passage absolutely amazing that here he is, the Lord of glory, would say to his disciples, look at the harvest, it's plentiful. The laborers are few. He didn't say that you get busy. You get out there. He know, we know that he does send them out. You keep reading in the, the Gospel of Matthew here, go to the 10th chapter. He called his 12 disciples, gave them power, sent them out. But here's the thing. What does he say to them in this instance? He says, I want you to pray. And in this instance, it wasn't just pray they'd be saved. We've already talked about that. But in this instance, what does he say to them? I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more laborers into the harvest. It absolutely amazes me that those are the words that come out of our Savior's lips as he looks at the harvest. Now, here's what we have here. We have Jesus as our example. He has compassion for the multitudes. He sees them bleeding and broken. He wants to see them saved. We find his instruction here. Pray from our laborers. Are we praying? And I've already said as we pray that prayer honestly, we're part of the answer. And then I wonder today, you know, we started out with a horrible example when it comes to compassion. We end this message with the Lord Jesus, the most beautiful Example of compassion. And I wonder where are we on that continuum? Where are we in this regard? Do we have the mind and the heart and the compassion of the Lord Jesus when it comes to lost humanity? Do we see the multitude? Do we see their need of Christ? And do we really pray that God would send out laborers into His harvest? Father, I don't know if we've really grasped this passage or not. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the beautiful example of our Lord Jesus. Help us to be obedient to this passage. Help us to make it a part of our regular prayer time that we pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. And Father, help us to be a part of the answer to that prayer. Father, I pray this morning we are surrounded by lostness and darkness even in this community. Our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates who do not know the Lord Jesus, would you help us to see as Jesus saw to go beneath the surface and see people who are bleeding and broken and hurting and wounded and lost as sheep without a shepherd, dead in their sin. And help us to grasp afresh and anew the love and compassion of the Lord Jesus who gave His life on that cross and then took it up again in the resurrection. And Lord, help us to reach the lost. And Father, send forth more laborers. 
And I pray, Lord, as we have this closing song, if anybody here has never received the Lord Jesus Christ, that Your Holy Spirit would deal with their heart right now. Show them their need of Christ. Help them to realize that they have sinned, as we all have. They've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But that You love them so much, You sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. And if we'll turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ, You will save us and forgive us and cleanse us. And I pray if anyone here does not have that hope and know for certain, I pray Your Holy Spirit to convict them and bring them to saving faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 572. I love to tell the story. The altar is open. I don't know what God is speaking to your heart today. You might need to be saved. Come let us know that. We'd love to talk with you. It may be that you're burdened about some folks today that you want to be praying for. You want to come and kneel at the altar and pray for them. We would invite you to do so. The Lord says simply pray. 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 Do you see it? Let's do it. Let's stand together. 572, I love to tell the story.